Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. In the summer of 2004, I had the opportunity to go on a trip to a country called Belarus in Eastern Europe, and it was a little missions trip. So I'd been a Christian about a year and a half. November 2002 was when I first became a Christian. I was a student, and um, a student group that I'd been involved with on the campus were, were running this trip. And in their meetings, they'd be talking about the plans, talking about what they wanted to do, and trying to gather a team who would go to, to Belarus. And uh, it was just as I was graduating, I didn't have any plans in place for that summer. I thought, okay, I'll go along. This sounds interesting. So I signed up to go on this trip. And the plan was to, to gather some Belarusian students and advertise this week away in the middle of the forest. So it's like a retreat center in the forest. And the pitch to these students was, hey, come along and we'll do a couple of things. So one of the things we'll do is we'll give you opportunity to practice your English with native English speakers. This was a pretty attractive thing. Not many people in that country had lots of opportunities to talk to native English speakers, and it was a highly sought-after skill. Also, they said, if you come along, we'll do a, a Christianity Explored course, which uh, is pretty similar to Alpha that we run here. It's a, a few weeks where you go over the basics of Christianity. And we, we do a kind of accelerated version. So we do a session a day. There'd be a little talk. There'd be some Bible study groups. And then, as well as the English practice and the Christianity Explored, there'll be loads of fun social activities that we can all do together. The English people go in, the Belarus people there. We'll just have some fun. We'll make it a good week. And so I signed up to go on it. Now, me back then, I was getting to grips with what it was to be a Christian. I made a firm commitment. I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'd started putting into practice some of the things we've been talking about these last few weeks, about the path of discipleship. So you were hearing last week about what it is to be a community of faith, what it is to walk this path together. And I'd made some good friendships with other Christians, and we'd started walking this path as disciples together. And I'd started putting into practice some of the things we've talked about. So we've talked about learning from Jesus, and I'd started reading my Bible a bit. We've, we've talked about be with Jesus, and I'd started praying a bit. Um, and yet when I think about myself then, there was definitely a dynamic where I was a passenger, where I was quite passive about my faith. And really there were certain aspects of bringing the kingdom of God that I saw as these things are for other people. So um, evangelism, so uh, praying for people, so uh, being active and stepping out and doing things that make a difference, that isn't really for me. That's for my friends. That's for people who've been around longer than I have. That's how I felt about things. So I, was, I was learning. I was putting some stuff into practice in quite a, a private way, but I hadn't really done a lot that had put myself out there. 
Now, when we got to Belarus, um, th- there was someone who was leading it, who was doing uh, the talks for this Christianity Explored. But the little Bible studies, they, they put us in groups. And in the groups, there were two people who were already Christians who were part of the team. And then there were two or three of the Belarusian students who'd come along. And so I was in a group, I was leading with somebody else. And they said, right, you'll need to lead the Bible studies here, you and this other person. And so we, we divvied them up. She did the first one, and then I had a turn, and back to her, and through the week we did it. Like I'd never done it before. Um, and they gave us some questions, and it was set out quite simply. Like you, It will all kind of respond to the talk that you've heard. Here's a few questions. Ask people, see where the discussion goes. 20 minutes should be quite a doable thing. And I remember on one of them, I think it was the second one that I'd led, I'd, I'd asked the question, and then I don't know what came over me. Well, I, I do know what came over me. I didn't know at the time what came over me, but I just had a hunch, like a, a feeling inside that I should ask a different question as a follow-up than the one that was on the note. So I didn't really second-guess myself. I just asked the question. And there was one of the, the Belarusian lads who seemed to be getting drawn out by what I was asking. And then I had a hunch to ask another follow-up question. And uh, he started getting more animated and uh, volunteering more of where he was at. And this happened with uh, a series of maybe four or five questions. And the last of them, I said to him, so do you want to give your life to Jesus? And he said... Yeah, I do. And I was absolutely stunned that he'd said yes. And I had the opportunity to pray with him. Uh, He gave his life to Jesus. And I've been connected with him on social media since. He's still walking with the Lord. He's still uh, faithfully following Jesus. But that was a momentous moment. Obviously, it was momentous for him because it turned his life around. But it was momentous for me as well because I never before had that opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. And it really changed something in my mindset. It changed this sense of, okay, bringing the kingdom is something that other people do, and I just sit here passively. And it showed me, oh, it's something that I can do. It's not not just that I can do, but it's something that I think God might want me to do, that God might encourage me to do, that he might be cheering me on, that he might be helping me to do it. And what I realised wasn't just that, okay, there's the kind of inner core of people who do this stuff and now I've been brought into that group. I realised that my, my concept that this is for some people and not for others was just all mixed up, that that was never how it was meant to be, that all of us who are on the path of discipleship, who are apprentices, learners, followers of Jesus, that all of us are called to join him on the mission. All of us are called to make a difference. All of us can make a difference, that he's cheering all of us on and that he's got things for us to do. So as we're walking this path of discipleship, the three things that we've said are the key things are be with Jesus, we've talked about that. Learn from Jesus, we've talked about that. And today we're looking at the third and final one, which is do what Jesus did. How do we do what Jesus did? I want to look at a passage in Luke chapter 10. So maybe if you've got a Bible, you'd like to, to turn there. I'm going to read the first 11 verses to us. So, yeah, Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 70. Some translations say 72. The number doesn't really matter. Appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him 
in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. If not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the labourer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I want us to see three things from these verses. I want us to see the need, I want us to see the task, and I want us to see the challenge. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Firstly, the need. I wonder if you see in verse 2, as Jesus is reflecting on these towns that he's sending them to, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. I wonder what you think of when you hear that phrase, the harvest is plentiful. What comes to my mind, I don't know if you've ever done this, uh, a train journey through the English countryside just before harvest season. And you see all these fields full of wheat, full of crops. There is loads. They roll on into the distance, field after field after field. And you think, wow, you're going to need a lot of mechanised machinery to collect in this harvest. And then you think, wow, back in the day when they didn't have all that machinery, what would they do? They'd be gathering everyone in their town, in their village. Come on, it's harvest time. Let's all get out in the fields because there are so many crops. There are so many vegetables. There are so many things we need to gather in so we can all eat. All hands on deck. This is a time to get the whole community around because there's such a big harvest. But Jesus says the labourers are few. There aren't that many people out there. Some of the harvest might not get collected in. We need more people to go out collecting it. And obviously Jesus is using this as a metaphor. He's not talking about crops. When he's talking about the harvest, he's talking about people. We've seen so far in in the Gospel uh, of Luke that Jesus has been going to places and when he gets to places, people are are swarming upon him. People who are sick, people who are troubled by evil spirits, people who are confused, people are all coming to him and he's seen such a need in every place. And Jesus knows his mission is to go around the towns and villages of Israel, but to make his way to Jerusalem. There's an appointed time. The the clock's ticking. He's got his his three years to do his ministry. And he's saying, the need is so great. I'm not going to be able to get everywhere. All these towns, all these villages that need the kingdom, the harvest is plentiful. It's just me. It's just me and my, my, my 12, my little group here going round. The labourers are few. What's going to happen? 
On another occasion, Jesus describes the people that he sees as like sheep without a shepherd. He's got compassion for people. He sees the deep, desperate needs of the soul and he cries out to God for them. I wonder when you think about the spaces that you inhabit in life, the places that you go, the communities that you associate with, whether you identify with any of what Jesus is talking about, when he talks about the harvest being plentiful, do you see the needs in the spaces? Do you see the compassion that Jesus has for the people you come across? Maybe people, um, your housemates, people who you live with, maybe people on your street, your neighbours who you bump into every day as you're walking to your house and they're walking to theirs. Maybe those in your workplace who you rub up against on a regular basis, your family, your friendship groups, all of these people, what would Jesus say? They're like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion. He sees there's a need. We all have these needs of the soul, needs of the body, needs for things to be put right. And Jesus sees it and has compassion. What about those we don't even have connections with at the moment? What about those who, the the millions of people out there in our city and beyond, not only do they not have connection with me, not have connection with you, what about those who don't have connection with any of us, who don't have connection with any who know the kingdom of God, who know the good news about Jesus? What about Alexander, this Belarusian lad, who uh, before uh, the summer of 2004 had no connection with anyone who knew Jesus, who could share with him? What about the next town along? Jesus was looking. He was in one town and he sees the next town. He's like, who's going to tell them? Who's going to go there? What about the nations of the world where, uh, where there's no native reproducing church? What about the unreached places? A couple of weeks ago, we were at um, Project 23. That was a, a, an event that we'd organised for students and 20s across the country down in Milton Keynes. And one of the guys who was speaking was talking about the needs of the globe. Uh, and he said, the world can basically be split into three bits. So uh, if you think thirds, one third is people who would say, I follow Jesus. That's about a third of the people in the world. Um, 40% of those live in Africa, but spread throughout the world, that you people who say they follow Jesus. Then you've got about another third of the people who could find out about Jesus if they wanted to, who live in nations like this one, but many others as well, where uh, there are people they could ask, places they could go, and they could, if they were interested, ask their questions and find out about Jesus. And then he said there's another third of the world, a lot of it's in the Middle East and North Africa, where you just couldn't even if you wanted to. There'd been no access to churches, there'd been no access to Bibles, there'd been no access to anywhere to find out about the hope of Jesus. What about those people? So Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the labourers are few. So what does he do? He turns to these 70 or 72 others, this wider group who've been following him, the apprentices, the learners, the disciples. And that's us. We're we're, we're talking about us as disciples, learners, apprentices of Jesus. And he says, I've got two things I want you to do. And the first of them is pray. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, to send out labourers into the harvest field. As we think about these places, the, the, the communities, the spaces in our city, the people who we know, 
the people in these, these nations in the third of the world who aren't reached. We ask, we say, God, would you send out labourers, send out people who can go and share the good news. So we pray, and then in verse 3, he says, and go on your way. We pray, and then he says, go. We're sent out. And that's today's focus. Jesus is sent out. It's always a dangerous thing to pray, God, would you send out some people? Because it's quite possible that God might say, hang on a second, your people, I can send you out. And that's exactly what he does with these. Pray that God will send some people out. Congratulations, you're the answer to your own prayer. Off you go. And he sends them out. And he does the same with us. Here's my contention. Every one of us who follows Jesus is sent out by him somewhere. We're not all sent out everywhere. We can't all be in every place at once. But all of us are sent somewhere. So it might be that you're sent right where you are. That you need to think about right where you are as where you've been sent by Jesus to make a difference. And it might be that some of us get sent to other places. It might be that Jesus speaks to us. It might be that uh, something, he's just imprinting on our mind and on our spirit, uh, a certain community. It might be a part of Manchester. It might be a nation of the world. It might be a people group. But he will imprint on our soul. I'm sending you there. I wonder if even in this room as I'm speaking, there are people who, who just know this is happening, who know Jesus is speaking and giving them a place that he's sending them to. I'm just going to leave a moment and uh, just, just see if God says anything to anyone. So there's the need. And then there's the task. So we're sent out. But what are we sent out to do? Well, I think we can summarise it this way. We're sent out to bring the kingdom of God wherever we've been sent to. And I, I see three ways in the passage this happens. To do it uh, by building relationships, then through our actions, because he talks about curing the sick, and then through our words as they proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you. It starts with relationships. So for them, they'd be sent into this town or village, uh, and then they'd, they'd find a home. They'd find a place they'd be welcomed into. They'd connect with someone who'd invite them to stay at their house. They're building that relationship, and they stay there as long as they're in that town. They eat with that family, whatever's been set before them. They, they basically live as part of that extended family for the time that they're there. Whether you stay or whether you go, what we're called to look for is what you'd call the person of peace, the person who's warm, who's friendly, who, who sees what you're all about and says, actually, I'm welcoming to this. I want to know more. I want to get to know you. I'll give you some favour. And once that relationship has been built, it creates an opportunity for you to share the kingdom of God with them. And it might create opportunities to get to know others and share the kingdom of God there as well. One of the big challenges that we have, and I reckon there are plenty of us in this room who would identify with this, is the Christian bubble. I don't know if you know the Christian bubble where you've been following Jesus for a while, you've been trying to build community with other people who follow Jesus, and then there comes a day and you just look back at your life and you're like, hang on, like, when did that happen? Everyone I know is a Christian. Everyone I know already follows Jesus, and we don't do it on purpose, but we drift into it. Sometimes. I've heard it said that the longer someone's been a Christian, 
On average, the fewer people they know who don't know Jesus. But Jesus is sending us out. That shouldn't be. I remember a couple of years ago, we were doing some teaching similar to this, and Hannah showed us an exercise where she just put um, some circles on the screen. And she said, this is a way we could think about the relationships in our life. You, you just divide up the different sections into the different spheres of your life. So it could be your, your work life, your, your neighbours on your street, a course that you do, your family. And you just think about the different chunks of life. And then uh, as you get nearer the centre, there are your closer relationships and those further towards the outside are more like acquaintances. And when you do an exercise like this, if you see mainly the names of Christians written down everywhere, then that tells you you're probably in the Christian bubble. And if that's the case, then it's good to do something about it. I remember once when I realised this was happening to me. So I joined a football team just as a way of expanding my relational world. I know someone who did the same. They joined a book club. And there's all different things. You can find something that works for you, for your interests. But we need to be connecting with people who don't know Jesus. The second piece of it, the, the task, is the actions. And he tells them to cure the sick. Now, I think there are two ways we can take this. I think both of them are important. So cure the sick. Firstly, we show up. We get alongside those who are needy. We practically do whatever we can to alleviate their suffering. That's something that through the centuries, Christians have been called to and Christians have done. Before governments started schools and started running the education system, who set up schools? Christians did. Before governments started running hospitals and running the healthcare, who set up hospitals to care for the sick? Christians did. This has always been part of what it's been to follow Jesus. In fact, the Roman Emperor Julian, who hated Christians, one of his complaints was this. Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that the godless Galileans, by which he meant those who don't worship the Roman gods, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. His basic complaint against Christians were that they were too compassionate, they did too much to help, and they helped people all over society. Oh, that that would be the complaint people would make against Christians today. But this is part of what it is. It's part of what we're sent to. This is, as we're sent out, the posture that we're to have. Wherever God calls you to go, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. Show me what I can do. It's been said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's really important. But as well as that, I think when Jesus says, cure the sick, we could have in mind the miraculous healings. That was probably more what was in mind in the original context here, because that's just what Jesus had been doing. As he'd been going to the towns and the villages, people who were sick would come to him. He'd lay hands on them, he'd pray for them, he'd speak to them, whatever it was, and he'd see the diseases, the illnesses, the ailments that they had lifted from them, and they'd be released, they'd be cured, they'd be healed. And this kind of thing still happens today. I remember the first time I saw it, I was in a, uh, a meeting, someone had done a talk and then uh, they'd given the opportunity for people to be prayed for. And one of my friends had been blind in one eye, she could see in the other eye and she said, hey, I want to be prayed for. 
So a few people gathered around her, prayed for her, and, and she closed the eye she could see. So I can see through my other eye. I was absolutely flabbergasted because I'd been reading it in my Bible, but I've seen it now with my own eyes that God still heals today. I've seen it happen many other times since. I've known it myself with an issue that I had with my back. Also, I can give you stories and examples where exactly the same things happened, where someone's asked for prayer for something and we've prayed and they haven't been healed. It's both. And honestly, I don't have the answers why it sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't happen. But I do know that Jesus said it. I do know that Jesus works in this way still. And I think it'll be fun since today's messages have a go. In a bit, we're going to have a go. We're going to pray for God to heal some people and we will see what happens. Uh, I believe that God still works this way today. Also, though, as well as the actions and cure the sick are the words that we speak. Jesus says, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. There's an announcement of God's kingdom. And we spent most of last term talking about what do we mean by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We looked at it in depth. It's an announcement of God's reign. Jesus is here. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the anointed one who will make all things right. Because we know this world isn't as it should be. We see all the oppression, the injustice, the brokenness. Most people in the world long for something better. Well, here's the announcement. You're right. This isn't as it should be. There is something better. God is making things right, and he's done it by sending Jesus. And how did Jesus make things right? He did it through the cross. He took the sin and the brokenness that had marred the world, and he dealt with it. He took the, the consequences of sin on himself, And that means that you and I, it's not just that the kingdom has come over there, but we get to participate. We get to be part of what he's doing as we put our trust in him. It's amazing news. It's an incredible announcement. It's an offer for anyone that they can have the best thing. They can be part of the kingdom of God. So you need to go and tell people, wherever he sent you, you need to be ready to articulate this, to extend this offer of good news to people. Who are you telling? How are you spreading this news? I think of someone, um, I, I like to go swimming sometimes. And uh, after a swim, I went into the health suite and I was on my own in it for, for a bit. And then this guy comes along and he just starts talking to me and asking me some questions, telling me a bit about his life. And I just he says, I need to tell him the good news. And I did. And he started coming to church since. And it was an incredible thing. Who are you telling? I wonder if sometimes, maybe... I'm wrong here, but it it might just be a me thing. But do you think sometimes we could have this mindset of, well, I'll just be nice to them and then they'll figure it all out. They'll work out that I'm a Christian. They'll work out that that's why I'm being nice. They'll work out that Jesus is the saviour of the world. They'll repent and believe because I was nice to them. Uh, We probably don't say it out loud quite like that, but I wonder if we just carry that kind of uh, basic assumption about it. But it says in Romans 10, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Yes, we've got to use actions, but we also need to speak words and tell them the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Now, this is going to be hard. It's not an easy thing. And you might already be thinking, hang on, yes, but what about? Uh, And this will be tricky here. What I love about Jesus is how straightforward he is. This won't be easy, and he doesn't pretend otherwise. And in these verses, we see three things highlighted where it's challenging. Danger, lack, and rejection. 
The danger he talks about, he says in verse 3, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. If you were there and you heard him say that, do you think you'd be like, uh, hang on a second, lambs in the midst of wolves, that doesn't sound appealing, does it? That sounds like uh, it's, it's a dangerous thing. And it is. Not everyone will like this announcement of a new kingdom. Because when you announce a new kingdom, well, that's a threat to those who have power in the status quo, isn't it? It undermines the way they've set things up. It's a threat to those who trade on evil and on wickedness. And what happened to this 70 or 72? Well, we don't have the historical records for each and every one of them, but we know the 12, the inner core of them, 11 of them, ended up as martyrs for Jesus. They ended up killed on this mission, and the other one was sent to hard labour in exile. But many of the, the others of these seven who will have had a similar fate. Through history, many people who've been sent by Jesus have been sent into dangerous situations and have suffered and, and died, and many today in many parts of the world are. There's a movement of churches. We're working with people in nations where being a Christian is extremely dangerous, where you can't just set up a website, advertise your church, because you get shut down, you get thrown into prison. It's a dangerous thing. And I know in our context here at the moment, it's not quite the same, but I also know there are people in our church who are living with a sense of it. I, I have people say to me things like, Tom, if, if ever anything about me gets mentioned on the website, only put my first name, don't put my surname, because I've just got a sense in the future, God might be calling me to go to some places where it's best not to advertise what I'm all about. People live with this. And it's a good question for, for all of us to ask. What would I do if the stakes were this high for me right now? How would I follow? How would I live? Would I be out if it was like that for me? There's danger. Jesus also talks about lack. He says in verse 4, carry no purse, no bag, or no sandals. Following Jesus isn't a route to riches. If in your head, Christianity is a means to comfort and money, you need to rethink it. You've not really got it if that's what you think it is. People who talk about health and wealth and prosperity, they've missed the whole thing. That's not the gospel. That's not the path of discipleship. Didn't we hear a few weeks? Deny yourself and follow me. Take up your cross. Lay down your life. It's a different thing. And then he talks about rejection. In verses 10 and 11, he says, when, when you enter a town and they do not welcome you, and this will happen. And we said maybe danger might not be quite so prevalent in our context. Well, I think this one, rejection, I think could be very prevalent in our context. You follow Jesus, you buy into the claims that Jesus makes, and a lot of them are not popular in our world. Think about when Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, that's the kind of thing that when you say that, that rubs people up the wrong way sometimes. People don't like hearing it. There are many other examples I could give. And sometimes it might mean we're rejected. It might mean that people want to be at arm's length and distanced from us. Now, there's a fine line. We don't want to be rejected just for being obnoxious or unkind. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But sometimes the actual truth of the matter means people say no. I don't want to know. It's a real thing. And Jesus calls us to be ready for him and not ashamed of him or his word. What strikes me as I read a passage like this, and I think about these 70, 72 apprentices, learners, disciples 
of Jesus. What strikes me is that these weren't experts. These weren't people who'd been through uh, intense Bible college training programs. These weren't the best and the brightest Jesus could find. These were the ordinary people. And if I could do one thing this morning with this preach, it would be to disavow you of the idea of the ones that Jesus is calling to make a difference are other people. You know, like me at the start, before that trip to Belarus, oh, that's for other people, but not for me. I want Jesus to dispel that notion from all of us. The ones he's called are you and me, all of us, his people, his learners. And so for all of us, we need to get out of our head the idea that to step up and do something for Jesus, we need to be better, more certain, older, more knowledgeable. That's not it. These people have been with him for weeks, months. They'd watched him, and now he says, right, you guys, you have a go. And then once they've done it, they come back and they get to debrief and share their experience with him. Imagine that conversation. Hey, Jesus, this is what happened, and he can talk you through it. All of us are called somewhere. I think God will speak to some of us this morning about specific places. And that might not be for now. Uh, My friend Andy was telling me that when he was called overseas, he heard God speak about it, and it was 11 years until he went. God might be speaking about now, he might be speaking about later. All of us are called to break out of the bubble, to make relationships with those around us. All of us are called to cure the sick through our kindness and compassion and through praying for those in need. All of us are called to announce the kingdom of God to those around us. We know there may be setbacks along the way. That comes with the territory, and it's okay.